Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the Word. God bless you. All right, so we've got a lot of Bible to cover this morning, but I want to set up this message a little bit first. Uh, Pastor Jeff Forbes this year preached a message at the Emerge Conference that really shook me up. And just being totally honest with you guys, I felt going into the Emerge Conference this year, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm the recovery pastor. I'm Pastor Jenny's husband. I'm Jack and Ella's dad. You know, I'm leading a team. I'm expecting for breakthrough for the guys on my team. But if you had asked me at the beginning of the conference, like, what are you expecting for for yourself? I would have honestly said, I'm good. I'm good. I think I'm good. I'm good. And it's like I'd forgotten that God's faithful to complete every good work that he starts until the day that Christ comes back, which translated in layman's terms means that until he splits the sky or calls me back home, that I'm going to be a work in progress. And if I don't believe that I still have room to grow, there's something wrong with my faith. Because God's mercies are new for me every single day, that there's always room to grow. And Pastor Andy, I just, I, I wrote it down because I thought it was so powerful. I've had the same like worthiness issue of being afraid to thrive. Because I've been afraid, honestly, of people's judgment for me thriving. Like I got, I got sober in secular recovery when I was 19 years old and I had an encounter with God, but God started growing me even though I didn't know what his name was. But I'm in this environment full of very dysfunctional people and I was really scared to thrive. I was scared to have like a lot of the things that I knew that God was calling me to because I was afraid that if I thrived that it would make other people feel bad. And honestly, it's the most selfish thing in the entire world. Like the thing that's actually godly is to thrive and then say, hey, God has this for you too, that in every testimony is the spirit of prophecy and that God doesn't pick favors because he did it for me, he'll do it for you, let me show you how. It's such a beautiful thing. And I, I think with our grandfather's generations, my grandparents were in the same thing that there's a neighborhood that they bought in in Vancouver and they had enough money to buy in to the better neighborhood. But my grandmother was so scared of what her sister-in-law would think if they had a house in this better neighborhood that they settled. But she held it with her her entire life. She like, lived to almost 101. She died this past year. But she would tell me story after story. We would walk by the house. And she would say, oh, it was because of your aunt that we didn't buy that house. I'm like, oh my gosh, what a stupid thing to carry with you your whole life. We're not meant to live with regrets. Amen? Okay. So, and also, if we're not thriving, we're also holding people back from stepping into all that God has for them. So Pastor Jeff this year at Emerge preached this message. I didn't think that I needed breakthrough. I'm standing in the tent bawling. And then I just had to like go be with God for a little bit. And sometimes a message will just hit you in a way where it's like, 
I don't actually need to process this with people. I just need to go back into like a little quiet space and have a moment with God. And I went back to my RV, spent some time in prayer, not because I felt broken, but actually praising him and all of the work that he'd done in my life that I had just seen from a new perspective. It was like this little message just had a piece of the puzzle that had been missing for me. And I went back to the RV and then I walked back to the tent. And by that time, the next session was over. And I have to actually get the media card because I missed Pastor Dale or Bishop Dale Bronner's first message, which I've heard is very, very good. I could hear the cheers while I was spending time with God, but I'm like, this is the place that I need to be in. Um, anyway, I came back to the, uh, the tent and just as I was walking up, Pastor Jeff was walking out. I gave him a huge hug and just thanked him for his vulnerability and his willingness to lay himself bare in front of, you know, 3,000 men. And he said, you know, the only reason I was able to do that is because you did it first. The only reason that I've had strength to share my testimony is because you shared yours. And I don't know if you know this, but I, he said his wife, Glory, had bought a copy of my book and she had heard me preach. And I, that's a whole other story that I'll say for another time. But she had heard me preach and I had a book there. She bought it for him, handed it to Jeff and said, hey, it's time for you to deal with your stuff. You need to read this. And he said that that book really unlocked a lot of healing in him and also gave him freedom to start to talk about that healing journey that he'd been on. And seeing that, it's like it's the coolest thing because, you know, God's principles never are violated. God never violates his own principles. And the principle of sowing and reaping, that me just being obedient to what God had asked me to do, had sewn into a breakthrough that I would need years later, even though I wasn't aware that I needed that breakthrough. God knew, and God's timing is always perfect. So we've got a lot of Bible to cover today, and I've got 32 minutes and 18 seconds to do it. So come with me in your Bibles. Who loves the Bible, by the way? Okay, so in this time of mass deception and a lot of subjective truth, who knows that we need a solid foundation of truth to stand on. So come with me in the book of John. Uh, we're going to go to the end of the book of John, second to la- or, uh, last chapter, chapter 20, verse 19. And just so you know, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. We're going to go from uh, book of John, chapter 20, over to Acts, just a couple of pages later, back to the book of John, and then finish on the book of Isaiah, and then I'm going to pull it all together for you. So it's a little bit of a journey, a bit of reading, but you with me? I promise it's going to be good. Okay. So chapter 20, verse 19, the same day. So the same day that Jesus was resurrected and showed himself to Mary, that Sunday that he came out of the tomb, the first Easter, the same day at evening, beginning of the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, for the fear of being persecuted, Jesus came and stood in the midst of the disciples. He walked through the walls. They were probably freaking out. And he stood in the middle of the disciples and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his, his side. He showed them his scars, the evidence that he had been healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, who was one of the twelve, 
was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And so Thomas said to the other disciples, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So just a little backstory on Thomas. People give him a lot of grief, call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas was like a, a, like a feeler. And Thomas, though he doubted in this moment, I think he just needed like to feel Jesus. And Jesus didn't fault him for it. Thomas also went further than all of the other disciples by far. All of the other disciples stayed around like the Middle East, Asia Minor. Thomas went to India, brought the church to China. If you go to China or India, especially in India, everything is St. Thomas this, St. Thomas that, because he was the one that went. So whether he doubted or not, he got filled with the Holy Spirit and did a whole lot over there. So after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them and Jesus came, the doors being shut. He walked through the wall, stood in their midst and said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas didn't ask. Jesus volunteered. Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here and touch my scar. Look at my hands and reach your finger here. Put your hand here. He knew exactly what Thomas needed. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So we're going to skip forward to Acts chapter 1, verse 4, a page or two ahead. It's the same moment in time, the same scene, but this time it's told by Luke. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Lord, we just need to know your schedule. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's like people now. It's like, oh, well, we've heard about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, and we've gone all of the, on this, like, this whole end times thing. Is this the end, God? And Jesus responds, it's none of your business. It's not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has put in his own authority. I've got something for you. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, until the end of the earth. This is the Great Commission. So in Luke's own gospel, I don't know if he was just doing it for variety, but instead of paraphrasing... Luke's, Luke quotes Jesus directly, and Jesus said to them, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus walked through walls. He's in the room. He tells him, look at my scars. Look at my scars. Not at my wounds. He wasn't dripping blood. The Holy Spirit had healed him and transformed him, changed his wounds into scars. And Jesus said, I need you to look so you can be my witnesses. You're going to go out across the world and you're going to give your testimonies. And I need you to know that this happened to me. And because it happened to me, everything that I said was true. Sin and death are defeated. And then he breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he told them to wait until they are clothed in power. There's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved. And when we get saved, the Holy Spirit, his power working in us starts to transform us and heal us. He heals us from the inside out. But then we need to wait until we're clothed with power from on high. And in biblical times, the outer garments or clothes signify identity. 
You could see who a person was by what they wore. And God fills us with power to fulfill our calling when we're filled with his spirit. He comes and lives inside us and we live in him and he wraps us in power to fully express who we actually truly are. We live empowered when we live in the fullness of our identity and he's the author of our identity. You know, a Tesla has the identity of a Tesla. A Tesla is fully a Tesla. But unless it's charged, you're not going anywhere. So he told them to wait, to get filled up, to get clothed in power. Not natural ability, but supernatural ability. But instead of waiting, turn forward to John 21.1. But after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum, where Peter, James, and John are from, is about 120 miles away from Jerusalem. It's not like a little stroll down to a stream to get some fish. They're full flight from the city of Jerusalem, and they didn't have cars. They had Chevrolets. They were walking that whole distance, and it's probably like a 10 days journey from Jerusalem. They didn't wait to be filled with power in Jerusalem. They ran away. They went back home. Jesus told them that they had a call on their lives. He told them to wait to receive power to fulfill their call, but they didn't wait. They left. And waiting is hard. They'd just been in this crazy trauma. I don't know how many of you realize how traumatizing the week of Easter is. We turn it into like a a string of holidays. But the Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday, the disciples and Jesus are coming into the city of Jerusalem and they're receiving the hero's welcome. People are laying down palm fronds in front of him so he didn't have to walk on the dirt screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save us. The disciples are like, oh my gosh, this is the moment we've been waiting for. We've all had this revelation that you're the Messiah, but now people are seeing it and they're welcoming us into the city They'd been called out of these insignificant lives in small towns. Jesus brought them into the big city. The city is laying down their best. They feel like they're getting their heroes, getting keys to the city. And then Wednesday, they go for a dinner at this Pharisee's house. This woman breaks her alabaster jar, anoints him with oil. There's been a lot of stuff that's crazy that's gone in between the Sunday and the Wednesday. Jesus announces that she just anointed him for burial. Then skip forward to Thursday, Last Supper, Judas betrays him, Garden of Gethsemane, taken into captivity, Friday, trial, beating, flogging, crucifixion, death. And then fast forward to Easter Sunday, they're all traumatized, hiding in this room, just having all of their hopes and dreams snatched from them, thinking that they're the ones that are going to be next. And then Jesus shows up in this glorified form, just appearing in their midst, walking through the walls and being like, peace, peace. They're still working some stuff out. They needed to receive the Holy Spirit. They needed to work out some of that trauma, but they didn't wait. They left. They went back to their former 
lives. They went on this probably 10 days journey back to the city of Capernaum, where they were from, and they went fishing. And you know, Jesus didn't call guys with a perfect pedigree. By the way, he called guys that were jacked up with a past that probably had experienced the pain of rejection, the shame of failure and dysfunction, all of that stuff. And though they felt great when they were around him, when Jesus was around them, they felt his love. They left their families, they left their lives because they felt the love of Jesus. But when he left and said, you gotta wait, they left. They went back to what they knew and though it wasn't great, it was familiar, it felt safe. So John 21.1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, closest guy to Jesus, Thomas called the twin, the guy who touched his scars, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. These aren't random disciples like Thaddeus and Bartholomew, by the way. These are like Jesus' best friends. Peter, James, and John, they'd seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen Moses and Elijah revealed in heaven. They heard the audible voice of God. They had seen Jairus' daughter who was dead, physically raised from the dead. They'd seen leprous scars on people disappear and fall off. They'd seen the most miraculous things ever, and they still left. So if you're feeling disqualified today, if you're feeling like my faith isn't good enough, these guys walked with Jesus for three years. And when push came to shove, they still left. They didn't wait to receive power. They were obviously trying to do things on their own. And Peter so famously would be like, I am never gonna, I'm, even if all of these others, never, 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 Lord, I will be with you until death. And all of the other disciples were like, no, 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 we, we, we will too. And then he's like, dude, just hang out in this apartment for a couple of days until you get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, no, no, it's too much. It's too much, Lord. So they're back at the Sea of Galilee, and Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going with you also. And then they went out and immediately got into the boat, and they caught nothing. God called them out of small town lives, insignificance, into big city living, into significance, into changing eternity. He called them into eternal purpose, and they went back to their former lives. They went back to their fishing nets and their boats, and that night they caught nothing. And you know, when God changes you and he calls you out, you can't go back. I had an encounter with God at an Easter service where I had been called out of a ton of dysfunction 10 years before. He set me free from a ton of addiction, alcoholism, unhealthy behaviors, and he'd been growing me. I still had some dysfunction in my life, but he was growing me, and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit in an Easter service, and things started to change. Suddenly, it became very important for me to get baptized and get discipled. And I had signed up for a discipleship school, and while I'm waiting for that school to start, I got offered a, a job position that I had been working towards probably my entire career. I got offered to be the global creative director for Hewlett Packard, which was like a big deal job, lots of money, power, all of the, the things that you would work in my career towards. And I prayed and fasted about that job, and I'm like, God, why would you call? Why? 
I don't get it. I mean, like the, the school that I was going to was filled with people that had been saved since birth, it seemed like. There were legitimately virgins at this school. I had never even met a virgin. People, I thought people that were... I'm not kidding. I mean, like, I grew up in a very secular environment, and if people said they were saving themselves for marriage, I thought they're either incredibly socially awkward, there's some unknown deformity that is, or they're just straight up ugly. And then it's like a convenient excuse. Oh, I'm sa oh you're saving yourself. Anyway... God has worked with me since then and changed a lot of my mindsets towards things and shown me how beautiful that is. Because when I met these people in the school, they were not ugly, they were not awkward, they were wonderful. And like, blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. And I would be around these people that had purpose purity in their life. And I would go out and do ministry and I'm like, oh, God's given me a great testimony. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really be effective with my testimony. And I'm with these people I haven't even opened my mouth and the people we're ministering to are just completely in tears because they're encountering the presence of the living God through these people who had purpose purity. But anyway, I'm waiting for this school to start and I fast and pray and I felt God say, you can, you can take this job, but your life's gonna end and it's going to mean nothing. I have so much more for you, just trust me. And I'm telling you, if I had not trusted God with that, I would not be married. I would not be a father. I would not have, have any of the things that I have in my life. I definitely would not be a pastor. I wouldn't have broken through ceilings in playing Jesus and Hero, the rock musical. I wouldn't have done any of the things that I've been able to do. And God has blessed my career also over and above what that would have brought blessing from. So anyway... So when morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shores, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, nope. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast the net and then they weren't able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but in the book of John, John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Absolutely nobody else in the entire Bible calls him that. It might have been a supernatural revelation. It might have been a supernatural revelation. So anyway, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now catch this. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. He put on his fisherman's coat. And you know, the outer garment is how men were identified. Remember what Jesus said, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Peter didn't wait for God's strengths. He put on his own strength. He put on his old life. He put on his old identity. Before he jumped in the water to go swim to shore to meet Jesus. I don't know how many of you have gone swimming, fully dressed, not normal, but very Peter. So skip forward to verse 15. Jesus said to Peter, keep in mind this whole time, the author of the book, the disciple John has been calling Peter, Peter. That's what Jesus called him. His birth name had been Simon, which means flimsy reed. But Jesus had called him Peter, the rock. And he said, upon you, I will build my church. And now Jesus talks to Peter, but he calls him Simon, son of Jonah. He agrees with Simon's pronoun. I called you out of Simon. I called you to Peter, 
but now you think Peter's call is too much for you and you've gone back to Simon. You've put on Simon's clothes. You've put on Simon's identity. I'm gonna call you how you see yourself, how you self-identify. And by the way, your dad was named Jonah and I also had a call on his life to go somewhere. He refused. It did not go well for him. But Jesus doesn't let Simon stay Simon. Just like the good shepherd doesn't let that little lost sheep stay in his dysfunction. And there's a lot of bad teaching about the parable of the good shepherd. Because a lot of people are like, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus loves me how he finds me. I don't need to repent. I don't need to change. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. That is not what that parable is about. All three parables that Jesus taught to the religious Pharisees were about restoration. They were about the one that was responsible for the thing that got lost or the one that got lost, taking responsibility and going and finding them in their lostness and bringing them back to restore the whole, and in this case, the flock. So it's like the good shepherd doesn't go out and be like, oh, what's up, sheep? Gosh, this place that you found yourself in is so dysfunctional. I love it. I'm just going to hang out with you and just, you know, you be you. You do you, little sheep. That's not how that, that works at all. The good shepherd leaves the flock for a time because they're in community. They're healthy. They're not going to scatter. And he goes out, picks up that little confused lost sheep and brings it back and restores the hundred. And that's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. It's this beautiful conversation where Jesus confronts Simon. He confronts the Simon that's still in Peter. Peter had denied Jesus three times after he died. And then Jesus told Peter and the other disciples to wait to receive power. And Peter already felt too disqualified and went back to what was familiar, what he knew. Get this, he did it at the exact same place that he met Peter and met the other disciples right at the Sea of Galilee. In the same way he met them, he's now restoring them. So skip down to John 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than you love these things? Do you love me more than you love your fishing nets, your jacket, and your boats? Are you going to go back to your former job, or are you going to continue to follow me? The word Jesus uses for love in this is agape. When Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He's saying, do you love me with the perfect love of God? Do you agape love me? Do you love me completely? And Peter responds, you know I phileo love you. You know I only love you like a friend. You know I only love you like a brother. And Jesus says, that's fine. I never asked you to agape love me. I never asked you to love me like I love you. I never asked you to love me perfectly. I just asked you to be my friend. Go feed my lambs. You're not disqualified. You're qualified to go f feed my new believers. And then just, he asks him again. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape love me? And Peter's like, dude, you just asked me that. You know I only phileo love you. And Jesus says, good. 
Go shepherd my flock. Go be the pastor that I called you to be. Go shepherd my new believers in community so that they can mature. I've given that to you, and you're equipped. You've disqualified yourself. I have not disqualified you. You disqualified you. And you thought that this call was to be perfect. This call isn't to be perfect. This call is to be Peter. But you need to wait for power to fill you so you can go out and fulfill that calling that I have on your life. Now, Simon, son of Jonah, do you... The third time he asks, he says, do you phileo love me? Do you love me like a brother? Do you love me like a friend? And Peter responds, you know, you know I do. You know, you know me better than I know myself. You, you told me that I'd deny you three times, and I did deny you three times. I, I, I thought I was capable of agape. You knew that I was only capable of phileo. And he's like, good, now you've gotten that revelation Go feed my sheep. Go feed my mature believers. Just as I have matured you, go and mature others. And it's, uh, it's this beautiful thing. And sometimes we can get so off track as Christians, we can turn our faith into performance, something that it was never meant to be. Some of us have believed that our sin disqualifies us from God's grace. But I want to tell you, that it's only our sin that qualifies us for God's grace. Do you know that? That it's our sin that qualifies us for God's grace because if we didn't have sin, there would be no need for grace. We don't become perfect so we can receive the grace of God. We don't become like God so that he can then bless us. We just bring our sin to the altar and lay it down. And I've got to tell you that there is more room at the altar. Christ paid an unlimited price for our limited ability to fail. And there is more space at the, at the foot of the cross than there is potential for all of us to fail in, a, in like an unmeasurable number of lifetimes. That in Romans, Paul writes that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So when we get off track like Peter did, and it happens to all of us, we need to go back to where our faith started, and I need to have that moment with God. And Kim Walker-Smith writes about this in a song called Awaken Love. Take me back to the moment of surrender, heart completely yours, unafraid, just a child within your presence, trusting in you, Lord. You don't need to physically go back to that place where God first met you, but if you're willing and you ask him, you can close your eyes and you can go back there anytime you want to. And I'll tell you as a minister, when I need power, I need to go back to that place because I need to be filled with power so I can release power. It's like a defibrillator. I don't fill myself up. I go back to that place where God can fill me and then I can just release his power not mine, so I can't boast. I don't have power in me to change other people's lives, but I do have a testimony that God has changed my life, and I have faith that because he changed me, because he healed me, he can do it for anybody. And Jesus called his disciples to be witnesses. He never called them to be teachers. He says, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Sumeria and to all of the ends of the earth. 
Being a witness is sharing a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. He showed them his scars. He showed them that he had been supernaturally healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit had done it for them, they could go and witness because everything that he promised would happen, happened. And they get to go be witnesses. You can argue with a teacher. You can say that that teaching doesn't make sense or I disagree with that or that's not my truth. But you can't argue with a testimony. My message today is called Show Your Scars. And there's a, um, at Emerge also, the Bishop Dale Bronner in his last message, he, he talked about the word comfort. And he said that the word comfort comes from the same root as fortress. That in truly that the word comfort means to strengthen greatly. And in the world, we've reduced comfort to being like a little, uh, a little emoji hugging a heart. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. But not like real powerful prayers, just like, God, if it be your will, I hope that something can happen. Whatever your will is for these people. You know, the Bible says that God's will is that all should be saved that he gave his back when he went to the cross so that all would be healed. So if somebody's not saved or if they're not healed, it is God's will that they would be healed and that they would be saved. And we get to go be witnesses. The world doesn't need a mm, there, there. The world needs a here, here. Because God did it for me, he'll do it for you. He doesn't pick favorites in every testimony. It says in Revelation that in every testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you hear a testimony, if your response is, well, he did it for them, or he, but he won't do it for me, bring that to the foot of the cross. And I'm really encouraging you in this because I felt very disqualified. And this year when Pastor Jeff was preaching at Emerge, he talked about something that happened to him in childhood. And you know, in my testimony, God delivered me from a lot of things. He delivered me from drug addiction, he delivered me from sex addiction, porn addiction, uh, an eating disorder called orthorexia, which is an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. I exercised in a way which could be considered exercise, bulimia, workaholism, all sorts of dysfunction. But I didn't see where a lot of that performance started. And he shared this testimony and God revealed something to me that happened when I was five years old. And my mom had kidnapped me from France. I was born in France and she kidnapped me from France to bring me to Canada where she's from so she could get divorced in Canada because in France, the father always gets custody no matter what the circumstances of the divorce. And she was married to a very famous chef but he was also an emotionally abusive alcoholic, and she didn't want me to be raised by him. She wanted me to be raised in a safe, stable environment. So she took me to Canada. And it's so complicated, like divorces are so complicated because they leave so many wounds on the kids that are affected. Because even though I'm like, in retrospect, I could say my mom was doing what she was, what, what was best, it still didn't heal the pain of me being separated from a father that I loved. 
And when we came to Canada, my, my dad followed suit. And because of how he was, he could only see me with a court-appointed supervisor. He'd like drunk dial and threatened to kill my mom and her whole family and kidnap me and take me back to France. And so the court was like, yeah, probably not a good idea to leave this kid alive, alone with his dad. And so I don't know if any of you have experienced supervised visitations, but they're awkward. You know, you're like sitting having lunch with, or, you know, whatever, with a kid, and there's some woman sitting like four booths away in a restaurant, like feverishly scribbling notes. And he was proud Frenchman, and he's like, I'm not gonna let some woman tell me how and when I can see my son. So he opted out. But in those visitations that we'd have, he never once asked me how I was doing in soccer, and I was freaking crushing it in kids' soccer. He never talked about like the little medals or badges that I won in swimming. All he talked about was his wounds. And he just bled all over me. He'd tell me how much I was like my mother, but how much he hated my mom and how much she had screwed us all over and, you know, and all of that, that stuff. And he's just trying to like poison the well of my love for my mom. And I felt super divided and I'm like a little tiny kid. And then after probably four and a half, he just didn't see me anymore because he couldn't see me without this woman supervising our visitations. But around about five years old, my mom started dating this guy. And this is the kind of guy that I would want to be my dad. He was like the very present, like cheering me on on the sidelines in soccer, cheering me on at the finish line in swimming, super interested in what was going on with me. He was like the dad that I had always wanted. And probably about six months into the relationship, he took us on a vacation to Club Med in Guadeloupe in the Caribbean. And it was like the dream vacation. He taught me how to uh, snorkel and he taught me how to spin a basketball on my finger, like all the things you'd think like a dad would do with a son. And we came back from swimming in the ocean one day and we went up to our hotel room and we took a shower together. And then he touched me and had me touch him and molested me in the shower. And, and my mom, thank God, burst in before things got too out of control. But it ended our vacation and I blamed myself. You know, and the thing that I realized when Jeff was preaching this year is I had so much shame about that incident because I didn't tell him to stop. I didn't want it to happen. There was nothing in me that wanted that to happen at all. But I was so scared if I rejected him that he would reject me and I'd be left without a dad. And then we left this vacation a week early. My mom, we flew to Fort Lauderdale where his sister lived and I'm sitting in the car for like two hours while my mom and his sister are crying on the lawn and I'm just thinking like, this is all my fault. And as I aged, I had a lot of like, just a lot of like shame around the ability to talk about relationships and talk about sex. And so I learned about sex from porn. And that's not a good way to learn about sex because porn is about the farthest thing from like loving relationship that you could possibly have. But that's what I, I learned. And I had dysfunctional relationships with women and you know, broken attracts broken. And my first major relationship was with a girl that is literally a sociopath. And so she'd manipulate and lie. And no matter what the situation was, it always came down to being my fault. And she'd tell me over and over again how broken I was and how I never would have the ability to communicate with women because I don't understand women. And because I had this undealt with shame, I went to go seek out attention from men. 
and I had relationships with men and relationships with women and full-blown sex addiction, completely emotionally shut down, looking for some type of connection and hoping that somebody would just love me just as I was, not realizing that without healing in my heart, I could never let anybody in. And while I was in the midst of all of that dysfunction, God sent a very backslidden Christian into my life. And he had seen me out in gay clubs in San Diego. He was my hairdresser and he lived a double life, like had a family that he had on the week, uh, during the week, and then went out to gay clubs and had a separate apartment on the weekends. And I had seen him, he had seen me, and I'm sitting in his chair one day. He looks me straight in the eye and he says, I've seen you. And I'm like, so what, I've seen you too. He's like, yeah, but I I need to tell you something. I've seen you. And I really feel like I need to tell you that if you keep doing what you're doing, one, one day you won't be able to do anything else. And as I look back into his eyes in that mirror, it's like his whole mask just shattered in front of my face. And it put the fear of God in me, legitimately put the fear of God in me. And I like, I stepped out of that lifestyle and I saw a lot of darkness as I stepped away. And God started to call me and started to put Christians in my life. And it it took a little bit of time, but I found myself in church and I heard the gospel preached. I thought that Christians believe that you have to be perfect in order to be accepted by God. And I knew that I couldn't be perfect because my track record had been, been like, good, 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 fail. Good, 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 fail. Good, 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 fail. And if it was about me being like, good, 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 never gonna happen. But I heard the gospel preached and I heard that God is a perfect loving father. And like a perfect father matures his son through the stages of life holding his hand, offering direction, offering correction, lending authority, that if I would let God be my perfect loving father, that he would mature me from glory to glory in his strength, not mine. And that's how I'd mature. And I thought, oh my God, where has this been all my life? because I've just been striving so hard. You know, I'd been in, in secular recovery at that point for almost 10 years, and I was so ashamed of all of these areas of my life, and I had no idea why I was even doing the things that I was doing. There wasn't anybody that had actually been delivered out of what I was struggling with that could show me their scars and tell me that because God did it for them, that he could do it for me too. But then I heard the gospel. For the first time, I believed that maybe God could do it for me too. And it's taken some time. It's taken some time. God called me into a discipleship school where there was a lot of healing. He called me into a desert season. And I'll tell you that like, when Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, they needed to get away from comfortable dysfunction. They needed to go across the the Red Sea. They needed to go into the desert so they could learn to just rely on God. That he was a cloud covering them from the hot sun by day and he was a fire providing warmth for them at night. And it took them 42 years, if you add it all together, for them to get 
that dysfunction, get that Egypt out of them. But eventually, their leader Moses found his voice. Like Aaron had been a substitute, Aaron had been a compromise for Moses. And when Moses finally stopped compromising and Aaron was taken home, Moses stepped into his rightful place as a priest, raised up the serpent on his staff, and the people repented, and they were saved. And it's this beautiful picture of Jesus, that Jesus wasn't the perfect God that came to earth perfect and just said, hey, everybody, look how perfect I am. He clothed himself in humanity, And on the cross, the perfect, blameless Lamb of God became our sin. The Lamb became the serpent. He took all of what we had, all of our disqualification, all of our dysfunction on himself so that we could get set free. And when Moses modeled that, that's when the people stepped into their promise. I needed a season of desert in my life where I was healed. So that when I was introduced to my beautiful wife, Jenny, I was healthy enough to receive her. And I'll tell you that God took a while to move quickly. Because I came to this church on my second date with my Jenny. And in five months, we were engaged. And five months later, we were married. And in one month, we did everything right. We didn't sleep together before we were married. We didn't make compromises. We did everything right. And one month into our marriage, we were blessed with getting pregnant with my daughter, Ella. When Ella was 11 months old, we got pregnant with my son, Jack. And I want to show you a picture of what my promised land looks like today. This is my family, and this isn't just a picture of all of us looking happy. This is legitimately how we are all the time. It doesn't mean we don't have our moments. Every family has their moments, but God is so good, and our life is so good, and it's so real, and I want to tell you that you can have it too. Psalm 107.3 says, says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you have been one foot in the promised land but still have shame holding you back into the desert, I want to tell you this morning that there's more. That if you can't say so, if God has brought you out of Egypt but he's, the enemy still has your tongue, you're not completely free and there is more. So I want everybody in here to bow their head right now And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, could I dare believe that God is that good? If you're still a little wounded or maybe secretly still very wounded and haven't been completely healed yet, that's okay. You're here. You're at Awakened Church and this church is a house of transformation. You don't have to know what it's going to look like. In fact, it'll be a lot easier if you surrender right now what you think it's supposed to look like. You need Jesus for real, and you need to let yourself be known. No throwing in the towel and still holding on to that corner just in case. Come into community. Let people get to know you. Let people get to love you and show you a God that loves you no matter 
where you're at and shows you how to move on from where you're at into that promise. Let a few close people into your healing process. If you feel because of your past, you're not lovable or you'll never be able to love yourself or let others love you, it is a lie from the pit of hell. God knew you before he formed you. He is always and will always love you. If you've been a Christian and this message sounds like something that's too good to believe because you've grown up in a religious church and are like, God, I've tried so hard, but I've never experienced what he's experienced. I want to tell you that there is so much more for your life. If you feel like sin has disqualified you, it hasn't. It has uniquely qualified you. And if you let God heal you, your sin will uniquely qualify you to show your scars to others that are in need of healing in your life, where your scars will turn into the transformation that others needed. The world needs your scars. You may not be called up on stage to share it in front of hundreds of people or write a book, but God is calling you to closeness, to intimate relationship with your family, with your friends. And if you're feeling distance from people in your life right now, that is not of God. It's the Holy Spirit telling you that you're meant to be close and because you're not, there's pain. And I'm telling you that God will heal those wounds because he did it for me, he'll do it for you. So I wanna pray. So if I can have everyone in this place that's bowed their heads, if you haven't all d- done so already, if you're sitting in the chair wrestling with the question, can I dare believe that God is as good as this guy says he is, whether it's your first time to church or you've been to church in your whole life. If you know your life's not where it should be and you know you need a real relationship with Jesus in a couple couple of seconds, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. If you know you've been playing church or trying to keep it together on the surface, but there's still deep wounds that need to be healed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand too. And especially if you know the devil has your tongue, even if you've been mostly healed and nobody would know just from looking at you, but you're terrified to truly share what God's done in your life, I want you to raise your hand. And finally, if you're here, if you feel a little like Peter, discouraged, maybe you've been away, but you know you need to come back to the place where you first met Jesus, I want to pray for you too. Is there anyone like that here? I want you to raise your hand right now so I can pray with you. God bless 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 you. Hands going up all over here. Thank you so much for your courage. Now I want everyone to join me in a prayer. The Bible says that we will be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. God said it's not good for man to be alone. That statement hasn't expired. We're meant to be brought together and healed in community. So pray with me, just repeat after me. Father God, I thank you that you so loved me that you sent your one perfect son to die in my place. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin and rose from the dead. God, thank you for forgiving my sin, for calling me out of darkness, into the light, into freedom, and into purpose. Jesus, right now, come into my heart and into my life and show me how to live for you. Surround me with real community that will love me and encourage me until you call me back home. Amen. All right.
I want to give you guys a couple of resources. Like Pastor Matt talked about, we're having a freedom night here on Wednesday. Pastor Alex Greenberg will be teaching. Plan to be here. But just know that a prayer can change things on the altar, that you really need to work things out in community. And we're going to be starting recovery at Salt Lake City. And don't get it wrong, just like there was dysfunction in a lot of different areas of my life, our recovery program just doesn't, doesn't deal just with drugs and alcohol, but we have an equal number of people that have relational stuff, either grew up in with homes with alcoholic or drug addict parents or grew up in religious homes with emotionally immature parents, people that have food issues, people that have uh, all kinds of issues. I'm raising my own hand here. I needed a room where people could talk about everything so I couldn't hide out in the corner with my one little dysfunction playing an endless game of whack-a-mole with areas of difficulty in my life. And we've seen in recovery people getting fully set free and thriving in their lives. So you can text recovery SLC to 55525 for more information. And I also mentioned that I wrote a book and I, it, it was not what I wanted to do. I swear to you that I did not want to do this at all. But I prayed and asked God the first time that I was asked to share a testimony, God, where should I go with this? I don't know what's safe for church. You know, should I give the like easy lob of like I was a teenage drug addict and alcoholic and you set me free from that? That's powerful. But I feel like you want to talk to me about more and I just need, I'm, I'm dealing right now because like I'm, I'm, I'm Jenny's husband. I'm Ella and, and Jack's dad. I've been Jesus in Hero of the Rock musical. Like I enjoy the position that I have in this. And he showed me the other side of Revelation 12:11 that the accuser was overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the spoken word of their testimonies and that they didn't love their lives even until death. Am I willing to lay down what I think people think of me in order for others to step into freedom? And God said, if you censor what I've done in your life, you're gonna censor what I wanna do through your life. And I trusted him with that. And then there was a prophet from Australia that literally like picked me out on the street. I didn't know him from Adam and told me that I was supposed to write this book. And I wrote a book. It is pretty raw, but it's not like bloody. It's healed. And I've heard testimonies of literally thousands of people that have read the book and found freedom. So the book's called The Power to Change. You can find it on Amazon. It's an easy read. And I just want to thank you guys this morning for your willingness to respond, to raise your hand. I know that the good work that God has started here, that he's going to complete in your lives. And I just pray that I get to meet some of you along that journey. God bless you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. Or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.